This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by the one, the only, Miles Danhausen Jr. <laughs> yeah, you, you added the junior and yes. that's the only way that works. Right, exactly. You do have to specify when you say the one, the only. <laughs> Miles, it is uh, not quite the middle of like Thanksgiving time and not quite the middle of Christmas time yet. We're in that weird stage post-Thanksgiving, pre-December 1st. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I have to get all my Christmas decorations up this week to get the full effect of them, to really maximize my investment, because I'm not one of those guys who can get it done by Thanksgiving. I I feel like I may only want to celebrate Christmas day after Thanksgiving and, and forward. Like, I really try not to indulge in anything before that. Although, unless you, like, fully go all out and decorate, it does not feel Christmassy at the end of November. No, not, especially once that snow melted. I kind of like took it all away. Right. We did put our tree up. So yep. we do have that up. We treated ourselves. My wife and I decided no presents for each other this year. Just going to get a new tree. <laughs> and uh, we got one of those. That who, pr- already... who proposed a no present? Was it you or her? It was me. Okay. She said, yeah. I want a new tree. And I said, okay, but. I would guess it's almost always the husband who proposes the, hey, what if we did no gifts this year? <laughs> well, I don't. She, to be fair, she's the one who usually says no gifts because she's like, I don't really want anything. I don't really know what to get you. Let's just save money and put it towards our kids or our family. But this time I was like, if we're going to buy a nice expensive tree, then for sure, no additional gifts on top of that for each other. But we splurged and we got a nice tree. You can control it with your phone and the lights are already strung up on it. They're built into the tree. So you don't have to additionally do the lights. So this is a fake tree, right? Yes. Okay. I have an allergy, so we can't do a real tree. Mm. Did a real wow. tree the first year we were married. Is it an allergy to traipsing through the woods and cutting down a tree, or is it an allergy to the actual tree? That part was <laughs> fine. It was like the slimy stuff. I don't want to call it dew. Maybe it's dew. Like sap? Yeah, the sap. The sap killed me. <laughs> like I, I broke out in rashes and it was, oh wow yeah, it was really bad. But we did it the first year. I didn't like it. It left a lot of needles all over the house that never fully went away. And then we threw it out in the backyard and it never actually decomposed. So all around it was just a bad No, you don't want time. it to decompose. You want to save it for summer and then light it on fire. We That's c- fun. We did. We lived in the woods though. And I don't want to light anything on fire <laughs> in the woods. But I will say best part about this new tree it doesn't have like those male and female connectors that turn the lights on. Just plugging the segment into itself turns the light on, which was very cool. So it's like battery powered? No, it uses like the base has the plug that goes into the wall. Oh, gotcha. But then the actual connector that connects the lights through the three segments of the tree is built into the pole. So when you connect the pieces together, that completes the circuit to turn the lights on. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of thing that 30 year olds talk about <laughs> and I, and I'm almost 30. So beyond, you know, Christmas stuff, I wanted to talk just a little bit about some of the, the holiday stuff that's coming up. The winter issue of the Door County Living Magazine is out. So I want to talk about that yeah. a little bit. Then we'll take a break and we'll come back and talk about some controversy at the Sister Bay Marina. So yeah. That's Fun my, stuff. Yeah. That's my, my tag to keep people hanging on past the break. They want to know about controversy. <laughs> We're going to talk about cool stuff first. What do you got your eyes on for like winter and holiday events that are still coming up? Well, I was out of town for 
the Thanksgiving stretch down seeing family in the Chicago area. So I missed a lot of the big ones, but this weekend we still got Christmas in the Village in Ephraim. They got a lot of events going on for that. And I've actually never made it to that one. I've made it to a lot, some version of most of the, the village celebrations over the years. And then... Chris Kindle Market still going on for the next two weekends. Probably check that out at some point. Mm-hmm. I heard they had pretty good crowds Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving. Uh, yep. Pretty quiet on Sunday. Sunday was quiet. Uh, my wife is working at the Chris Kindle Market for oh, Fika. Yeah? Fika is one of the hot oh, food right. vendors. And they're doing their bakery stuff, but they're also doing Swedish meatballs and mashed potatoes. Yeah. Really good. The first night she asked me, you know, we have some leftovers. Do you want some? And I said, no, it's okay. But she brought me some anyway. They're really good. I'm not just free advertising for my wife's business, but like, man, meatballs and mashed potatoes in a cup this time of year. Yeah. It's, it's good. That's some good comfort food for you. Well, it, I guess it's kind of a chunky soup if you really want to. <laughs> depends on the ratio. I, I didn't make it, like I didn't plan to go to Unwrap Sturgeon Bay, but I did accidentally go to Unwrap Sturgeon Bay. It, we just had happened to have grandparents up. So Victoria and I went on a date night. And we were like, oh, let's go to the Sturgeon Bay and see if we can find a restaurant that we haven't tried before. All of the restaurants had like an hour and a half wait. And we were like, what's going on? <laughs> it is like, it's like Thursday in the middle of November. Why is this happening? Well, because Unwrapped was about to go down. Hmm. <laughs> what else is coming out? Oh, Bailey's Harbor. Oh, our, our location here. Bailey's Harbor's doing their thing this weekend. Yes. What yeah, does Bailey's Harbor do? Kind of a light show, small parade kind of deal. It's not as big as, say, like a Christmas by the Bay, like not a huge Christmas parade and stuff, but nice small town thing. They do actually a nice job with the lights over at the Bailey's Harbor Town Hall now. And then, you know, a smattering of businesses in the past have done decorating. And looking around, it looks like a few more. We still got to do our office here at the Pulse, so you you might get roped into that, Andrew. You know, we have the, the whole front facade of the Pulse office is vines. Have we ever just strung lights up on all those before? We haven't. We could do, like, blanket it. Dave would love it to look out his window. Dave lives in the apartment upstairs. So if he could just, we just blast lights into his windows, that'd be great. Yeah, I think, hey, if anybody has, like, the real estate to put up a bunch of lights, it's us. So <laughs> yeah. should probably look into that. Dave has got some lights up on the corner already. He's, he's ahead of the game. I noticed the uh, gnome trees at the marina. Oh, in Sister Bay? Or no, no, here. Oh, they do that here now, too? Yeah. I haven't even noticed that. I I would assume they have, like, the red Because here tips. at the Pulse, I, we work so hard that we don't even look outside our windows. Right. We've we've never been able to leave. But, no, I, I'm assuming that they're gnome trees. They've got, like, the red hats and what I would assume is the little nose thing. Unless I'm I'm wrong and just, like, seeing the, the vagueness of it. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've got gnome trees now. Oh, they're going to be rivals with Sister Bay now. What's the other? I feel like there's one more. Oh, yeah. And Fish Creek does a small tree lighting at Noble Square. So that's going on this weekend as well. Right. And so, I believe they do caroling there, too. Yes. So a smattering of stuff still coming up this weekend. And obviously, Sister Bay has done theirs. Ellison Bay's tree has been lit for a while. Probably running out of batteries. I don't know. And then the uh, Surgeon Bay happened a few weeks ago. So, yeah. But what, when does, pretty soon all done. When does Sister Bay put up all their decorations and stuff? They're that, up now. That's yeah, already they, happened? They lit them uh, Thanksgiving Saturday. So all of the like the tunnel of lights and all the different uh, figurines and stuff like they have throughout the waterfront park are all lit and ready to go. Sweet. I will have to make the yearly trip up to Sister Bay for the lights because they're actually the, the tunnel that you mentioned is yeah. really cool. And uh, my kids like running through it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Great photo op. I, you know, the biggest thing in Sister Bay is I, I still have to decorate my, uh, my Christmas bar in my garage. So that's, you know, that's the moment everyone's waiting for. Yeah. Do you do a grand unveiling? 
<laughs> for myself. Yeah. It's been like COVID for three years. You like, oh, on and, oh. like, I would do it all during COVID mainly because I had more time. And then I'm like, ah, well, nobody can come over. This is <laughs> lame. Yep. Nobody gets to come to the house unless the bar is decorated. Yes. Good priorities. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are indoor County right now and you spin around in a circle, Odds are you will probably see a copy of the Door County Living Magazine for winter. <laughs> uh, and if you do happen to see that, pick it up because there's a bunch of cool stuff in it. Yeah. I, I was really happy with the way this issue came out. I'm you know, always pretty proud of most of them. But this one, Andrew, you obviously do all the, the layout and design aspects of it and did an awesome job with this issue. And then just kind of the diversity of the articles in here. You and I talk about this. We all talk about this in the office of trying to not just play to one segment all the time. We were trying to think about, are, are we representing all the different people in the county and all the different demographics while also just trying to put out a beautiful publication? And, you know, we got a lot of young faces who are doing cool stuff in the county. We got adventurous people doing all sorts of outdoor winter activities in here. We got great photo spread from Brett Kosmeyer on just people who do winter kayaking, winter biking, winter kite surfing, kite skiing, across the, the frozen bay and Brett Kozmeyer last year did a lot of great photography for that and the layout that you put together for it looks awesome so it just gives you a picture of different ways that people get through the winter up here yeah it was it was really cool that that spread that you're talking about in particular was fun because the photos were so cool and yeah. like it, it's cool activities and there's you know lots of great ways to show them off but for some of them it's like all you're seeing is white you're just seeing the snow and the ice and the haze and then just like the silhouettes of people doing something cool. But there's something beautiful in that too. Yeah. So, you know, that was really cool. Like you mentioned, focusing on different demographics, we have those sports things. We have a piece on winter commuting, people who ride their bikes through the winter. But we also have a theater piece and a piece on a musician and a chainsaw carver. And so there's arts, there's community, there's all sorts of really cool stuff, especially for this time of year when the question is, what do you do in the winter? (laughs) Doesn't Door County just go to sleep during the winter? No, people do a lot of really cool stuff. And I, I feel like we were able to showcase a lot of different things that people do throughout the winter in this issue. Yeah, and hopefully it inspires someone to try something different. Not that you have to be an adventurer to enjoy the winter out here, but you know, just to see that, oh, there are guys who find a way to kayak throughout the winter. This, and Chuck Germain is one that we featured on the cover in a really cool drone shot that Brett took. And he's kayaked at least once a month, every month for like 20 years. We have Carl Morrison, who has ridden his bike to work every day for eight years. And on his off days, he rides alone. That's through like multiple knee and hip surgeries. It's amazing. Like some of these. And so here I am. I'm like, well, one day I'll start biking to work regularly. I mean, I don't even do it in July. This guy does it every damn day. Right. And it, it makes me go, okay, I can do it one day a week. I got to start figuring that out. So hopefully it gives some people some inspiration to try something, at least just see some cool people doing, doing cool stuff. Right. My, my last little plug for the magazine, just as a, if you haven't heard of this before, you should pick it up for this. There's a small piece on the Greystone Castle in, in Sturgeon Bay. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun to put together just visually. If you haven't been there, they are known for their taxidermy. It's a restaurant that's known for their taxidermy. So if nothing else, if you're curious... You'll find it right away in the in the magazine. It's a very very fun. Yeah, place. when you're getting your sandwiches and and hamburgers there, just know that like they they butcher the animal and then they put it on the wall and right. that's what you're eating. Right. <laughs> but there, it is cool. Like if you if you go into the Greystone Castle, you're gonna get a massive plate of food for good money or or for 
for not a lot of money is what I mean. And then uh, you have taxidermy everywhere surrounding you, staring you down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like probably the best place to go like middle of November during hunting season. So if you're up on the weekend and you're hunting and you take a, a break from the stand to go get lunch, Greystone Castle is probably the best just to keep the immersion going. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, never leave the dead animal scene. Right. Is there anything else that you and I should cover about this kind of weird transient period between end of November, beginning of December, before we jump into <laughs> that story about the sister Bay Marina, I want to take a break, but if there's nothing else to, to talk about, then we'll, we'll get into that next. Uh, I think I'm ready to, to jump into the controversy. This episode of the door County pulse podcast is brought to you in part by door County medical center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Okay, we are back. Sister Bay Marina is uh, proposing something a little controversial. Walk me through what's going on up there and, and what they're looking to do. Well, to set the scene, it seems to me lately that Sister Bay is almost going out of its way to walk into things that are going to become big controversies of late, that... You know, we had the village hall discussion in the middle of the summer that was probably not like a, a super pertinent has to be dealt with now kind of issue that just got thrown onto the front burner and ignited a, a bit of a firestorm up there. And now you have something that was not on anybody's radar except apparently the Marina Committee in which they've talked about, they came out of a closed session to review RFPs for the commercial vendors that operate out of the Marina. They have three different vendors who do boat rentals, boat tours, and sailing tours out of the Sister Bay Marina. And it's been kind of a standard review the proposals, approved, move forward. And this year they came out of that review and said, we're thinking about maybe eliminating these vendors altogether. Hmm. So what does that leave without, as like somebody who doesn't own a boat, who visits marinas just to take advantage of those services, what does that leave at the marina? Uh, that would make it, you know, kind of the, as far as the slips go, the exclusive property to those who own a boat and, and have a slip that they, they have secured in the, in the marina. There's about 150 slips at the Sister Bay Marina. Some of those are transient. So some, you know, a certain number are reserved for people on a day-by-day -day basis, not a seasonal rental. And that's basically what it would be reserved for other than people who want to walk out on the pier and walk along the shore. Right now, there's... Three vendors, one that most people would be familiar with is the Edith Becker, which is the schooner that is photographed pretty much every sunset in Sister Bay, the big sailboat, that double-masted sailboat that goes across the sunset and shoots a cannon off. Then there's the Norador, which is the double-deck, decker, kind of like party boat that's been there for a few years. And then there's the pontoon rentals that have been there for, I think, about 10 to 12 years in some form or another, pontoons and jet skis. So those three services added together get about 50,000 locals and visitors a year on the water. So that's, you're talking about 150 boat owners or 50,000 others, you know, so it's a, it's an interesting thing that you, that they're willing to 
potentially give up that they're right. discussing giving up. Well, and what would be the pros and cons of not having them? I, I'm assuming that in order to be a vendor there, you pay something to the marina, right? Yes. Why isn't it a conversation about changing fees or anything like that? So this is kind of the similar to the village hall discussion this summer where you know, if I'm waving a wand, if, if I'm in this position and I want to discuss, hey, maybe we, what do we got to do with the village hall? I'm probably starting that with let's have a community discussion. Here are some options. It doesn't get a lot of use. Maybe we tear it down. Maybe we remodel it. Maybe we just save it. That is what let's hear from the community. Let's hear what they want to do. In that case, it just kind of came up at a Parks and Properties Committee meeting and came to a vote, and there wasn't like a lot of outreach leading up to it. So it became this huge controversy because you had people scared that they were going to lose the village hall and so coming back angry at it. Same thing's sort of happening here where it wasn't an, an agenda item. They just went into closed session to review the RFPs, and in the process of reviewing that, they said, well, maybe we don't want to do this altogether. If that had been flipped, it might be a different discussion right now, and the atmosphere around it might be different if this started with, we want to have a discussion about the future of the marina. This includes vendor services and the expenses going forward, and we want the community's input. But now that community input is coming at a meeting December 14th. That'll be at 4 p.m. at the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Station. But it's coming after everyone has gotten <laughs> pissed off and frustrated, basically. And it's not unique to Sister Bay. I mean, a lot of communities operate this way and I really can't tell you why they would do it that way, but they put the thing forward and then deal with the backlash and then they have to walk it back. I don't know if they'll walk it back, but that's generally how it has gone. Right. But you had asked what, what are the pros and cons? So let's take the, the reasons they have cited for maybe eliminating the commercial vendors. And there are, there are some valid concerns there. There's, I think the one that maybe holds the most sway is that for the jet ski rentals, Thor Johnson, the owner of Sister Bay Boat Rentals, there is no gas dock there. So he goes to a gas station like Birdo's, fills up these big gas cans, and then has to transport them across the road and down to the pier and gas them up on the water. Now, according to the NR, that's not illegal. You can gas boats up on the water and you can gas them up from a can. But that causes concern amongst the marina and it's actually his lease says that he can't do that. So that's problematic and you can see why the marina would want to address that and maybe not have that service. They've also cited like some of the services that they provide to those rentals, pump out services for the big boats. You know, you anytime you're renting boats, a pontoon, like I'm not a seasoned boater, but if I rent a pontoon, I drive the boat out. So I don't really know a ton about driving a boat. So all the other people who are in the marina, they're like, all right, here's this amateur <laughs> driving the boat next to me. Same thing you have on the road with amateur drivers, but yeah, it's a concern for them. There's bathroom usage that they use the marina's bathroom. Sister Bay for years has talked about adding bathrooms to the marina. So this is not exclusive. The, the bathroom thing I see is not exclusive to this vendor discussion because Sister Bay is just really busy in general because they have a beautiful park. So that's probably can't really be put on the, the vendors, I, I don't think. But there is a parking concern. So if you have all the boat rental, it's a beautiful day. If you have all the boat rentals out, you have the Noradora full, you have the sailing cruise full. Between the three of those, you might have 200 people there at a time. And there's they don't have parking. They, they have marina parking lot, which technically that's what they're renting when those vendors rent that property. But they're saying, well, now the marina vendors or marina users and the slip owners are 
losing out on parking spots and you're using street parking and you're not providing parking. So that's an issue. So that's some of the arguments that have come up. And I think I'm forgetting one other. Oh, the village has also said that what the committee chairman Scott Baker said is they wanted to build a kiosk for the vendors for, and that kiosk was going to be $300,000 and that was going to have bathrooms and, and a larger area for them to sell and, and service their businesses. I talked to a couple of vendors and they said they did not ask for that kiosk, but that the marina had told them they wanted to build it or that they thought they needed to build it. So there's a little dispute between the two sides there on who's responsible. The vendors told me, hey, we, you know, if there's trash problems, if there's traffic problems, like how do we fix those? They all said they were blindsided by this. They, they said they have not been approached about this. They haven't been asked to pay more. They haven't been told that there's damage to docks. That was one other thing where the village has said, there's ten dollars to $15,000 worth of damage and repair work to be done to one dock. But the vendor, Peter Nelson, who has his boat on that dock, said, I am not aware of any of this damage. They haven't talked to me about it. So a lot of this is coming up without seemingly the communication between the vendor and, and the village. So there's a lot of different moving parts here at play. The suddenness of this conversation coming up has stunned a lot of not just those vendors, but a lot of the people who use those services and a lot of the other business owners in town. Right. Yeah. It's interesting hearing you kind of break that down because in my head, a lot of those, the, you know, the bringing the gas across the street and filling it up, that's just, that's a very specific problem to Mm -hmm. address. That doesn't seem like a, a contender for, for cutting the whole thing down. What's the alternative to that? Just having gas service on the dock? I guess, I mean, that would be a, I, I don't know how much that costs, but I would guess that would be a somewhat expensive thing to have a gas pump on the dock the way that other Do marinas might have. have that? Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. But they just don't have one at that commercial dock. Right. I'm guessing, I, I guess one solution would be, okay, you, every time you rent it out, you have to take it to wherever there is gas and fill it up there. I mean, you know, like lot, Yacht Works has gas up services, all those kind of things. So there, there could be workarounds to that. Uh, the other thing that the vendor said is, so now what... The, what the villagers said is, well, we don't want to kick you out next year, but we're looking at doing a one-year contract and then possibly eliminating these services. Well, what, what each of these vendors said is, I can't invest in my business based on a one-year contract. Right. So I can't, in Thor Johnson's case, he said, I'm trying to buy $200,000 worth of boats. If I'm only doing this for one year, I'm never going to get the payback on that. Peter Nelson said he is trying to buy a new parasail boat to operate that business, and he's not going to do that with a one-year contract. Because yeah. you just don't get the payback. It's basically a here's a year to get your affairs in order kind of deal. Yeah. And you asked the question, like, don't they pay to use that? They yeah. do. The the con- the village has, last year, I think they received $103,000 from these vendors for rental. And it's based on a per foot of your slip fee. Next year, they've budgeted to make that $118,000. So they have increased it just as they've increased the rates for the slip owners in general. But they... They haven't talked about assessing any other fees for any of these other services. Right. Okay. So that's an additional $100,000, give or take, that's going to the village. Yes. And the cost that they're looking at right now, as you said, what, thirteen dollars to $15,000 for a, a dock repair, and then however much the parking, like, theoretically costs? Like, I guess I wouldn't even think about cutting the services unless they were losing money. Yeah. And if... And there's also talk that they would they could potentially make more on the, those slips that they rent out for commercial. 
They could make more if they rented it out to transient boaters, people coming up for the day or for one night or two nights. Ah, so it's the Egg Harbor Campground conundrum again. <laughs> sort of like that, yes. All right, now, okay, now things are making sense. So they think they could make more, and then they wouldn't have the burden on parking. Now, on the flip side, 50,000 people over the course of summer, that's a lot of people coming to your town. And I talked to Fuzzy Sunstrom, who's been on the Marina Committee for 37 years, and he does say that he, he vouches for a lot of these issues and that they are major issues for the marina. And maybe by putting this on the agenda, they can negotiate something to move forward or lessen that burden. But, you know, he admitted that when they bought and expanded the marina, they bought land, the Casperson property and the Al Johnson's property to expand the marina and the waterfront park 10 to 15 years ago. One of the stated goals of that was to try and attract some commercial vendors. What Fuzzy said, it, the Sister Bay was a dying town and they needed to revitalize it. They needed some economic stimulus and the getting some water rentals was a big part of that. Getting more people out on the water was a big part of that whole goal. And so I asked him like, well, isn't this kind of, as Peter Nelson said, like a little disloyal, like those people came, they worked at this when Sister Bay was at its low point, helped build it up. Now they bring 50,000 people a year to the village that never had these services before. So it's all kind of new enterprise. And now that it's, as some committee members told me, well, it, it's maybe too successful. Well, so you're, now you're going to kick those folks that help you build it up to the curb. That's where some of these vendors are like, what's the, what's the deal here? This just doesn't connect. <laughs> right. So, but there's also all those complaints about, well, Sister Bay is too busy. There are people who say that. As Fuzzy said, there's a lot of people who don't come to Sister Bay anymore because it's, because they say it's too busy. Well, that reminds me of the old Yogi Berra quote of <laughs> nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's too busy. Right. So that, I think that's the bigger question now is let's say by opening it up to transient marina goers, they're able to make more money than they're making off of the, the, the current deal. So mm -hmm. let's say it's not an issue of money for the village. It then becomes that question of like, okay, let's say 50,000 people a year come to Sister Bay to go to the marina. They're also probably going to shop somewhere, maybe get gas there, maybe go out to eat there. That's 50,000 people that may or may not return to Sister Bay on their trip up to Door County because they want to get out on the water. So they're going to go to a marina that allows them to get out on the water in the way that they can. Maybe they come up once or twice a year and they rent a pontoon and that's their family tradition. And that's why they go to sister Bay to do it. And they come back in, they eat dinner and then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those people are going to go somewhere else. And that's 50,000 less, you know, tables that you potentially get to fill in the year. It's a really good point because, you know, you get off that, you get off the boat in sister Bay, you're looking at, Boathouse, Stabor, you're looking up the hill at Husby's. There's usually live music. You're probably going out, I, I shouldn't say probably, but a lot of people are going out to eat or drink in the village and spend several hundred dollars more. Right, and Sister Bay has a good nightlife. Yes. So if you go out in the day and come in as the sun setting, it's not like you're like, all right, time to go back to the hotel. Like you're saying, there's something that's actively drawing you in when you get, that, when you and, get there. And the hotels that are there actively market that, hey, you can walk to get on a boat. You can walk to go rent a boat. So when you talk about parking issues, if you are at, let's say, Pheasant Park or any of the condos or Sister Bay Yacht Club or the Hotel Door, Scandinavian Lot, any of those places, you can. You don't even have to go find a park, place to park. You can just walk to the boat. <laughs> um, so there is that is one thing about the, the parking issue that's, that lessens that to some degree. 
And those people market that. That's a, that's a part of the attraction of Sister Bay is that proximity to do all the things you want to do in Door County in that one town. So there, there is problems. That's why Sister Bay Advancement Association has taken a, issued a statement to in support of those businesses staying. Uh, I have talked to folks at Destination Door County and Door County Economic Development Corporation. They've, see, they've said they've been deluged with calls and messages about this, and as has the village ever since this word came out. So it's going to be... I would guess that that December 14th meeting will be a, there'll be a lot of people talking <laughs> at that one. The other thing you, you mentioned about the economic impact, and they said this, Scott Baker said that the economic impact to the other businesses didn't come up in their discussion, which is to me a very narrow-minded way to have that discussion in the first place. But I mean, you just have to stand down at the marina and watch the people coming across the street with running to Birdo's or running to the creamery and getting stuff to go and bringing their to-go bags up on the boats and to see how much of, how much they're spending in the village. So I would, I would have to imagine that 90% of people who are renting a pontoon are bringing some food on the pontoon that they got from a local business. I would, I would guess that yeah. either that's going to, you know, main street market or the pig and getting groceries to bring out there like chips and stuff, or going to get a sandwich or a burrito or something and taking that with them. I would imagine yeah. that's a, a huge number. I mean, that's, we, we're not big boating people in our family, but we do try to get out on the pontoon like twice a year. And that's yeah. what we do. We get yeah. food from a local restaurant and we go out there. So it's a two for one deal. It's the same deal for me. So some, one of the questions that I'm sure will come up and that a lot of people have asked me is like, what, is this whole marina just going to be for the people who can afford a boat then? What about the rest of us? How do we, and you know what the committee members have said, well, maybe there's another place for them to operate out of, but that that's going to be, I would guess hard to come by. It's hard to find slips. It's fine. Sure. hard to find docks. But also um, like Cody Bolton was able to find a way to do it at, at Yacht Works last year. And he's, He's the owner of Northern Door Boat Rentals, also rents pontoons. He operates out of Yacht Works, just north of Sister Bay. Probably in this moment, very glad that he's operating out of there. Yeah, I guess I guess when I think about, like if this had been a private company that was thinking about discontinuing a service that brought a lot of people to their business, that would be one thing. You'd be like, hey, they, it's economically sound for them to not do it anymore. But because it's Sister Bay, because it's the town, it makes me go like, why even consider something that would actively push guests to another town? Like that's the opposite of what you're doing, what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's opposite of what their very plainly stated goals were for 10 years. Again, we've talked about this so many times. I don't even know if I need to say this for our listeners, but again, this is really a last five years issue where people have talked about sister Bay being busy and there is, that's valid. I mean, if you, if you want it to be a small, quiet town, and there are a lot of people who want that. Like it is a good discussion to be had, but it's hard to say to a business, Hey, we want you to do all these things and then cut the rug out from them. Yeah. Sort of like, let's say you, you're one of those places that, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't do a lot of live music outside. You could barely do live music inside in sister Bay without the village coming at you for noise complaints. Now they've loosened those rules over the years and people invested a lot to expand their, you know, Stabur expanded their patio. Boathouse expanded their outdoor dining area. Husby's Garage Bar did a lot to expand their garage bar and attract live music and build up a reputation as a place for live music. Same thing kind of came up last summer with the noise issues of these bar owners would tell me, hey, if we suddenly can't do live music outside, it's not viable. Like we've, we've invested all this money. Like you can't do this to us now that we've already invested it when it like, right. 
and the, the village ultimately kind of like grandfathered that in. Same thing here. I mean, when you come up and now granted, those are their leases. And usually a landlord can decide to use their property in a different way at any time, at least while they abide by the lease. So there is that. But this is the, a village that as a community decided they wanted these things. So it's hard to hard to cut them out. Right. So the, the question here is, and we're not going to go into it now because we, we're going to wrap up, but I promise you we will do a whole episode on this, if not several in the future. If the fear is that something is too busy, the, the fear would be then that people would stop going for fear that it's too busy and then it would swing the other way around and be not busy enough, right? That's the fear, right? So then the goal isn't to make it less busy, it's to try to thread the needle of where do we find the perfect amount of people who can be here without overwhelming yeah. or not being good enough for our businesses. And the question that I have that we can't answer now is, is that possible? Is it possible to trim different things until you reach that equilibrium or are you forced to just continue to expand the infrastructure to support what you have? And, and I guess you'd have to look elsewhere to see places that were overrun that were able to carefully and surgically lower their numbers to an equilibrium rather than drop off completely. And I, I'm sure it's you, you bring up a, a really interesting and a, a really great question. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but it, that whole infrastructure, are you forced to just keep investing to keep up? You know, and I, I right. would argue that most towns in, in at least Northern door County would tell you, no, we're, we're fine as we are. We don't need to do more. I don't think, I don't hear anybody clamoring. I should say like maybe one out of 40 people I talk to believes that we need to do more to attract more. Most people think what we have now is either too much or like, this is a good level. Let's, let's cut. We need to attract more employees, but we don't need to like broaden this customer base. They don't want to be right. busier at that peak time for the most part. But like you said, like, how do you, how do you do that? Now, the one thing I've seen is certain places, I think Hawaii has done this in some places and other tourist destinations have started to do some things to charge fees to use things in a certain way. So take California, for example, if you want to go to, I think it's John Muir, I think it's National Forest, maybe a national park, can't remember. But if you go there, you have to reserve your parking space in advance. There's a finite number. And if you don't have a parking space, you can't go in. And it's on Highway 1, so there's like nowhere to pull over on the side of the road and leave your car. So you either have to have that reserved paid parking space, or you have to take a shuttle, or you have to ride your bike or hike in somehow. So they're limiting the burden of the parking by just charging for it and making your reservation system. Up here, we've generally always just said, okay, we got to expand parking. So Peninsula State Park is looking at doing a, a much larger parking lot up by Eagle Tower to handle the new influx of, of visitors to it. They could take the opposite approach and say, we're just going to throttle it back and we're going to either limit the number of visitors or at least limit the number of visitors who could come there by car by saying, here's the number of parking spots, that's it. And at a certain point, you can't even get in <laughs> if you don't, unless you're on a bike or a bus or something like that. So there, that's the only thing I can think of in terms of a way that people would throttle that or they would have like a visitor limit to a certain park or a certain mountain or a hiking trail that said like, we're not going to let this get overrun because you have to get a pass and all right, there are 100 today. That's it. Right. You know, I, I guess if, if maybe the master plan was looking at this and going, man, if we had 50,000 people less a year, things would be better. 
And this is a perfect way to trim that many people out of the tourist season. I wonder if that would be, I wonder if you can even come out and say it like, Hey, we're trying to find a way to ease up the congestion during the summer. Here's, here's one option. What do you guys think? Would that even be a viable way to, to go about something like this? Yeah. If, if that were the objective. Yeah. I mean, I guess it might be, but there's, there's one thing we tend to do up here is we look at everything as I'm not saying you're saying this, but in general, we as a community tend to look at it as either a tourist or a resident thing, right? No, that's fair. I mean, I've I've rented the pontoons more since I've lived up here than I did before. Yeah, same same with me. And so many of the people who go out on those tour boats are residents. So many businesses book those boats for their employee outing here and there or like rent a pontoon to take their staff out. I know we should do that more, Andrew. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, One day. But, I've heard about those trips. <laughs> but... So it's not, it's not like you're only taking away from visitors and you're only limiting visitors. Right. You're taking away something from locals. Like the same thing could be said about Waterfront Park or Fish Creek's Beach or take Anklam Beach or Egg Harbor's Expanded Beach. If you took that away, you wouldn't just be taking it away and limiting tourists. You'd be limiting it and taking it away from the people who live here. So that's, that's one thing we, we're not very good about taking into a lot of these discussions. We, we look at it as an us and them, and there's a, a very gray area in the middle of the us and them, if, if you want to call it that. That's that also both of us. seasonal residents or people who come home, like take, I have five siblings that don't live here, but come back at least once a year or twice a year. And a lot of those seasonal rest, residents and people who grew up here and moved away, they care about this place more than the locals do in many cases. Like that's not slap any local in the face, but those people... There's a reason they come back. Not everybody from a tiny Midwest town goes back to their hometown and loves their hometown years later and comes back every year. We're very fortunate that those people do and that they contribute to this community and they still, I mean, we, we see it in our web traffic. Most of our web traffic is from outside of Door County. It's because people try to keep tabs on this place that they love. So to say it's, a lot of those visitors were one-time residents here whose parents maybe live here or whose brother lives here or whose uncle lives here and stuff. So they're, to call them tourists versus locals is, is kind of disingenuous as well. Yeah. You mentioned web traffic. I will say that in terms of viewership for the podcast, majority local. Is it? Yep. It is a majority local. We have a huge listener base in Chicago, Minneapolis, um, De Pe not De Pere, um, where Bonnie Bear is from. Eau Claire. Eau Claire. Um, <laughs> we have, we have a, a, a really big listenership in those areas, like the areas you would expect for people who come here and visit here seasonally. But it is a majority local. Comes up as Sturgeon Bay, but that's the entirety of Door County yeah. would be included in that. Uh, and we are an internationally listened podcast. We do have people who listen in other countries as well. So We're big in Germany. Yep, we do. Every once in a while. We're like um, Hasselhoff. And I will also say that my mother is no longer the number one listener. She <laughs> has been passed up by a local man. So, <laughs> right. Is there anything else that we have to talk about, Miles? I promise we will do an episode and we will do some homework on it and maybe bring in a guest. And we will try to talk about this like threading the needle argument and see where we come up just yeah, and if, spitballing. If there are any listeners out there who have some ideas for that, not just local people, but like if if there's another community that you think has done a good job. I, I, one of my favorite things is to look outside the county, look to other examples. We don't have to create it from whole cloth. So like right. looking at in the past, I've looked at how Lake Geneva does their footpath where everybody can walk around the length or the, the entire circumnavigation of the, of Lake Geneva through private property or 
Oregon's coast where you can walk along the shoreline. So sometimes it's easier to copy what other people have figured out. So if there is a place that's figured it out that you know, let right. us know. Because that's, I mean, the question is, if the fear is that there's too many people and it's going to rubber band the other direction, then any plan to push, like to have not as much people is going to be pushing towards that other direction. So the question is, how do you, how do you meet the equilibrium of this is how many people we can sustain and we have to trim down to that amount without pushing too many people away. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to drag our, our exit to the podcast here out a little bit more. We're Midwesterners. That's how we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Welp. Slapping (sighs) knees. All right. (laughs) Um, so this occurred to me as I was, I was down in Surgeon Bay this morning for a meeting. As I was coming back, I was driving by some of these different storefronts, what used to be Warner Wholesale building, what used to be the Mita, what used to be Spurgeon's. And it just hit me that, you know, the, these economic downturns, these ups and downs, roughly every 10, seven to 10 years, we're riding a wave that's lasted a long time. At some point, things will slow down. And even though it always feels, every time things are going well in Door County, it feels like we're going to get overrun and that this is going to go and it's going to build forever it always comes back down to earth a little bit. And I was just thinking about like when all those storefronts were empty in Sturgeon Bay. And for a moment, I finally, it's been a while since I had this feeling, but I remembered that like that sadness that hits you when you drive by all the empty storefronts, which is what Sister Bay was back in 2010, 11, 12, when they were trying to build up that business. And when you were driving through Bailey's Harbor and uh, like, I remember when Associated Bank closed and you're like, oh man, the bank closed. That's, that's bad news, you know? And right. And we kind of forgot about how sad and kind of, I don't want to say hopeless, but it, it was a scary time in like the 07 through 2010, 11 range and really scary for a lot of businesses. So it's always just good to remember that when we're talking about these things about, you know, we get a little, take it for granted that it's just always going to be there. Right. Well, let's wrap up. Uh, I hope you're okay from that conversation. It's probably <laughs> the most critical you've been about Sister Bay on the podcast so far. <laughs> Our listeners might not know, but you do have the word Sister Bay tattooed somewhere on your body, but you won't tell <laughs> anyone where. So I'm, I'm glad we are able to get through that. You're okay? I'm doing great, Andrew. All right. Well, thank you, Miles, for coming on and chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.